0: hear this hello and welcome to the here be dragons podcast your podcast to those kitesurfing spots that are off the beaten track and in case we cover a spot that is on the beaten track we will give a new spin to it enjoy the show Hello friends and welcome to the Here Be Dragons podcast. My name is Björn and as always I'm recording this from the landlocked country of Switzerland. Before I tell you what this episode is about today I just want to share with you a nice review I got on Apple Podcasts from a listener named Juba Lola from the country of Spain and uh, the title is To Dream and the comment is nice and perfect to plan my next trip uh, juba lola thank you very much for that review much appreciated Always nice to get reviews also to know and get some feedback so that i'm not just talking into the void um, to dream and to plan the next kite surfing trip that's exactly the reason why i do this podcast again thank you very much for the review and now to where we're going to take you this episode. And actually, we're going to take you to a popular destination, at least for my European listeners, which is the area around Cape Town. In 2009, Douglas, um, who is a native Cape Townian, uh, was then a pretty novice kite surfer, and he set out to... On a very ambitious goal, he wanted to kitesurf the coast of South Africa from Cape Agulhas, which is the most southern point of South Africa, all the way north to the border of Namibia. Uh, he and his team almost made the complete journey, which is a feat by itself. Uh, the reasons why they did not complete the whole trip will be explained in the podcast. As I mentioned in a previous episode the reasons why I do this podcast are various but one of the reasons is that I have the opportunity and excuse to talk to the nicest people and Douglas is definitely one of them. Next to this being a super adventurous story it uh, also has some funny twists and if you're yourself thinking about planning a long distance surfing journey I think it's also full of tips uh, what to consider and uh, how to plan So I hope you enjoy the episode and the interview. I give you Douglas. Today, I have the pleasure to welcome Douglas on the podcast. Uh, Douglas, I actually found Douglas on the internet a couple of episodes ago. I did an episode about long-distance kitesurfing, a discipline I was not really aware of, and I was completely fascinated by that. So I started researching on the internet, and actually I found a website, ultra-long-distance Surfing, and Douglas is one of the guys participating in this project, um, and I thought i write him an email and ask him if he would be willing to be on the podcast. And, of course, he said yes. Douglas, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, everyone. It's lovely to chat to you, man.
0: (laughs) Super, it's great. So, Douglas is in Cape Town. The, um, The area we're talking about is, well, it's not only the Cape region, it's a long region, but I will let Douglas... Maybe Douglas, before we start about um, the project or the the adventure you embarked on, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you get into kite surfing? Where do you live and how did you get into mm-hmm. kite surfing? Okay,
1: well, sure. It depends how far back I start. Um, you know, I've always been involved with sailing in some kind. I mean, my father's had a yacht I was very fortunate to be able to sail that and then I suppose in my 20s well now I'm early 50s at the moment so in my 20s I was into um, windsurfing which was great fun and then the way the dice rolled I um, you know work-wise and whatever business-wise I, I for many years I left uh, windsurfing and uh, as I was getting older I actually overheard my father. Speaking to somebody else, he said, you know, wow, if I was younger, you know, I'd really do this kitesurfing. Looks so much fun. And he didn't actually say it directly to me. But it, yeah, I, as I said, I heard him say that. And that that really got me thinking because I didn't want to live with any regrets. Like that really sounded like a sincere regret that he had. And um, I thought I'm going for it. And that was the trigger moment for me getting into kite surfing. So I just went balls to the wall. I, mean, I was, it was in winter. I bought myself the kit and I couldn't actually find an instructor. Nobody was prepared. All the schools here are um, operate in summer. So I actually had to pay a guy just to go on -on one-on-one lesson to take me, um, you know, out. I started in Langebarn and in in the rain and I just persevered, (laughs) but I persevered. And it was, and since then, I, you know, kind of never looked back. I was totally obsessed with the sport. And then my, um, my, actually my first real, uh, I'd call it adventure was, uh, I was hardly, you know, capable of kiting at all. And I thought I'd enter the first race, which was the well-known downwind dash And uh, I thought, okay, there's a lot of people that will, you know, a lot of rescue people. They'll be able to help me. I'm just going (laughs) to give it a go. And I'd never been downwind. So (laughs) I uh, just started off, I think, more, you know, craziness than anything else. And I actually finished stone last, um, but I managed to finish. I drank so much, half the lagoon water. (laughs) Um, But then I I, I realized, no, I'm going to really have to up my game here because I did enjoy it. Besides, you know, really... You know, suffering and getting lost, and and that's when the the bug bit, you know, and I just started seeing how far I could push it, and I don't know for some reason, um, I I the idea of just going far and long, um, was that was what interested me. So, um, uh, again, I just started met up with a guy, uh, um, a doctor, is a little bit older than me. And he was keen on his, you know, taking his rubber duck as far as possible. So, um, you know, we met for the very first time. We chatted a little bit about it and we thought, okay, we'll we'll give it our first test and see how we, you know, um, how we'll do, how we go. So I don't know if you're familiar with the Cape Town area, but there's a big bay here. It's called False Bay. I think it's. 20 k's or 40 k's across yeah, i think it's 40
0: 40- it's called false bay for a reason because it's not really a bay it's a sea itself
1: yeah okay fine that's right and uh, and so we thought i'm going to try and cross it but um the one end is a place called hung clip and the other end is actual the Cape point which all the tourists know it's very familiar with it it's mm-hmm. incredibly dim- dramatic cliffs and um and quite spectacular and I was gonna to attempt to cross the bay there so we, we set off and um, together him and his boat I've still gone a twin tip at that particular cave, uh, stage mm-hmm. and um, yeah it was it was just so much fun just the freedom and you know I, I was going at a great pace the speed felt good it was just a wonderful and um, made it all the way across the wind just happened to die as we reached as we reached um, Cape Point but from that point on I think then I realized I wanted did See how far I could push it. So um, I I realized that also twin tips not ideal for these kind of distances, and um,
0: especially not on the on the coastline of South Africa.
1: No, it's also the, the seas can be extremely choppy and um and it it is first I mean the water's pretty cold um so I would never by the way uh, attempt this with um without sea support it's mm. it's just distances and the bays that go in and out and if you cross them you can get i mean Walker Bay at Centlina Bay i mean you at least ten kilometers out to sea so if if the wind does die which it did happen or, or, you um, absolutely screwed I, I wouldn't i wouldn't it's just insanity to do that. I'll talk, I a couple of lessons that learned, um, you, you know, going, you know, with the various trips that we did. We did seven trips in total. Um, um, the whole idea was to do the entire West Coast. So that is uh, from this, if you look at, if you understand the geography of South Africa, it's from the very southern tip of Africa. That's called Cape Agulhas. Yes. We wanted to go with the southerly winds all the way around Cape Point. Um, I wanted to make it all the way to the um, Orange River mouth. That's the border of South Africa and um, Namibia, the northern country. And that in total is, is a thousand kilometers. So. Obviously, you know with the, you can't go continuously, so you have to break it up in in, in sections. And um, we were weekend warriors; um, we kind of the team grew as we as I started doing it. I was okay. Let me, I'm just jumping around a little bit here, if you don't mind. But um, let me take a, let me take a step back. So first of all, I think I should talk about the equipment. Um, I, I started. Uh, I went, uh, asked around a bit of what is the right kind of board, and then I ended up with this guy called um, Angus from Cape Doctor. He shapes boards, and I explained to him what I wanted to do, and he shaped me this wonderful board. It's quite long, it's narrow. I wanted a lot of, um, of volume in it uh, for light conditions. It's got quite a big concave to take up the chop and on the front uh, pad, he, he put quite a bit of padding for impact. You know, I think now, looking back, this is this is about seven years ago, I think. Yo, is that right, eh? Yo, I was, uh, really? Seven years ago, that's correct. Now, I think... You know, probably with technology, a foil would, would probably be a better option because of the chop that you're doing and, and the tiring on the legs. But at the time, this was this was the ideal board for it. So obviously I obviously had to get used to it. I took my to packed it away, and that was the only way really to learn. So I just hammered away. I had an opportunity during the week, weekends, and um to get familiar with the board. To be honest with you, with, with, with hindsight, I was almost a little bit naive and, and not... A top quality kiter, but I mean, I was—I I think it was more just absolute sheer determination and, and willingness to to do it. But um, you know, it started uh, developing. People started hearing about it, and essentially, then I was joined by um, Greg Taser and. He did bring a lot to the to the party. You know, he was the South African champion kiteboard at one stage a few years back, and um, and brought a lot of wealth. He brought some sponsorship uh, to the program as well, so that was quite nice. And yeah, then we kind of teamed up, and um, our first real attempt was oh, I beg your pardon I have missed the first stage b- before Greg
0: before you go to the first stage I just wanted to mm-hmm. ask you one question so it's a thousand kilometer trip it goes from the southernmost mo- point from uh, Cape Agulas where the Agulhas current actually ends uh, right, all yeah. the way up to, um, to the border of Namibia you said you wanted to do it from south to north uh, using the prevailing southeasterly which you have which turns a little bit more south I think up in the border of Namibia uh, closer to Namibia but but this is a wind which is only prevailing really in your summer months, or so northern hemisphere uh, winter months, isn't it?
1: That's correct. So yes, we, it was pretty much you know around December would be a good time to start to do to 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 do a challenge like this. Um, one thing, of course, is you'll never really be able to get around Table Mountain because it's one kilometer high, mm-hmm. and it's if you look at the ratio of one to ten, you know, for the wind shadow it's 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 just so complicated getting around it um so you have to actually get it around um on the, the northwest you're yeah, on the northwest wind you have to get around the robin island and um and the Sea Point side and then obviously the other part of it you could probably do in a southwest if you want to come around into heart bay so that's why we had to you know pretty much just do it in stages and then join the gps you know breadcrumb trail if you like and from where you start off and so we'd we'd, um, have a solid line eventually
0: let's let's start maybe with stage shortly stage one which is i wouldn't say a classical downwinder (laughs) i mean pretty long But this was using the the Cape Doctor, uh, which is the name for the prevailing southeasterlies. So maybe you describe shortly what you did on stage one. What are the highlights? And and I will ask you one or two questions about that.
1: Yeah, thank you. As we progressed, our equipment changed all the time and from lessons learned, you know, um, I think the first... On this particular trip, we started off really green. um, It was our first attempt at doing distance, long distance, and Brad Symington joined me, and then we had these helmets that were just one-way communication, so, you know, the the rubber duck could speak to us on the normal frequencies chart. I don't know what channel, 671, I think we were talking on channel 71. We could hear, but it was just um, hand signals back, like he'd say, everybody is still happy to continue raise your hand, and we'd raise our hands, because there were three of us that, that did that particular um, leg together and subsequently we moved over to proper marine radios which we put in aquapack so we could have two-way communication which sent um which worked really nicely by the way so that was another little lesson we learned and yeah the, the, so the first lesson what we learned here going from this particular trip is we started off at um, sunset we're all ready to go and it was, it was so excited and literally we got to big bay and the wind had died
0: which is 10 kilometers and
1: it was a total disappointment and then we, we um, had to pack up, I literally our kites and everything fell into the water and picked up the nearest place that we could um, recover the rubber duck was a place called Malpo. So we went there uh, and uh, started packing up but we had all our you know sandwiches or whatever, we sat there and we thought oh my goodness it's still midday, what should we do? So, so we just hang around because the prediction was pretty good uh, for the Southeastern, we re- re- raided, the Marine raider we got hold of a yacht that was off fontane and he said, man, there's 20 knots here southwester. just hang in there, so we said to ourselves, okay, if by two o'clock nothing, had, the wind hadn't picked up, then um, we're gonna abandon it, but half past one, a steady 18, 20 knots southwester came through and we launched, and then I put up my biggest kite, and that was the first kind of lesson that I, I I've learned, because you're going downwind, the idea is to just select the biggest possible kite that you prepare to handle
0: mm. uh,
1: because you're going with the wind. So, you know, your parent wind, is it cancels it out. So mm. in in between 40 knots, if you're going and down in the wind's blowing 40 knots, you could even have an 11 square meters quite comfortably. I weigh 80 kilograms. So I, I would put up, you know, I wouldn't be afraid to put up 10 or 11 square meters uh, sail in 40 knots because you're going on average at 20 knots. Um, you, you can go faster, but it's too tiring um, on the chop. So you can just go at a, you know, a three-quarter pace, um, which actually is close to 20 knots. So then you, if you deduct that, you're actually looking only at 20 knots of wind, um, and you can still depower it. So, so yeah, the bottom line is, if you're doing something like this, is just put up the biggest kite that you're prepared to handle. And and then I put up a 14 square meter, um, which was fantastic. I could just park it in the wind window. Um, the other guys actually had smaller kites, and they really had to work it. But they were younger than me, so <laughs> that's all, That that was okay. <laughs> and literally, there we go. You know, it was a left foot forward. Um, so you know, the wind was steady angle. It was a broad reach, and it was just you know, let's see how fast we can do this. And uh, it was just spectacular. But that was the first lesson. You know, so we were. About, I can't remember how many hours we were in the water. Maybe four, five, four or five, four hours, five hours. But your feet start getting really um, soft from the water all the time. And um, because it was the same angle, maybe the board strap setup wasn't perfect. I was pinching it a little bit with my um, little baby toe, and that just developed a blister, an open blister. I wasn't even aware of it fully because the water was so cold on my feet. But for me, going forward from then onwards, in this cold water, it's for me, I learned it's to do is rather to have booties, just to protect the feet for that particular reason. So from then on, I started wearing booties Another little lesson there is, if you're gonna launch on a long um, trip, just make sure, say if it's a big beach break, just don't get a pebble or a shell or anything into the booty as you're about to take off, because you know, you're gonna be sitting with a pebble or a shell in that booty, which you can't take out uh, for a couple of hours.
0: I had an interview with Bowen Dwelly, um, episode is out now, uh, it's called Long Distance Kite Surfing in Brazil, but they went out strapless on their boards but this is probably not a good idea on the South African coast, I would guess, for because the waves and the chop is so big.
1: Yeah, for me, um, that was a big lesson there. But uh, as I said, th- th- we, this is s- seven years ago now. Probably strapless, maybe even on a on a foil would be a, a, That's different, a different story. Game all, different story altogether. But at the time, um, yeah, they look. Like it's it is. It's not called the Cape of Storms for nothing. I mean yes. the. The seas can get massive here. Um, you know, some of the times when we went around Cape Point, um, the troughs of the waves. Um, now we're not at sea, and we're not talking beach breaks here. We're out in the ocean, and um, the swells. I couldn't see Greg in the in his in the trough of the wave. Just the next wave, but he's—you can only see his kite, so he's you know below the my line of sight. So those are the size of the waves—they're three meters swells—and it's—and it's it's, you don't want to lose your board as well, so you're super nervous uh, because the rubber duck isn't always close by to you. Often they they were out of sight as well, and and so that's when the radio does become your best friend. (laughs) And it's
0: also a very confused seas, meaning this—the the the waves come from a lot of different directions, especially. Uh, if you pass the K-point, isn't it?
1: It's true. Um, What I also learned is um, as soon as there's a land uh, mass that uh, juts out into the ocean and and the wind, um, you'll get a lot of um, kickback in the swell. So it'll become super choppy up to about two kilometers coming close to it. It's super, super choppy. Then you get waves from all angles. It's the pushback Mm -hmm. of the waves. As soon as you're around that... uh, Rock formation, or or an outlet, or whatever it may be, it will smooth out. So if you have a long white beach, then then the um, you know the waves absorb; they don't push back at all into the into the ocean. Got it. So um, you won't this um, over a hundred kilometres of kiting on the ragged coastline. You're going to have. Shop, you're going to have smooth conditions you're going to have all sorts um it's it's definitely not what you start off is not it is bound to change i mean it's guaranteed to change the conditions and so yeah it's it's it it varies considerably over every single stage
0: which is a nice segue to stage number two because there you sailed past a lot of rocks especially you sailed past the Cape, didn't you? Oh, just to
1: finish off on the very first one, so then we just kept going. Brad pretty much um, he he was exhausted. He stopped with Saldana, and myself and another fellow, we just continued. Rob, we just kept going up until sunset and then we got to Palo Norte which was just simply fantastic I mean we were elated, that was 128 Ks which was which was that at the time was you know nobody had done this kind of distance at the time I'm sure I don't even know what it is now but you know in, in 2009 that, that was I think yeah, that was the South African record and our very first attempt so that was you know got the whole thing going and that, from that point on that's when Greg joined me because uh, 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 he heard about it and he really wanted to do it and um, you know he came along and and that's when the sponsors, uh, you know, got involved. Um, AAD Nissen, I don't think they're around anymore, but they. Um, you- Supplied us the fuel, which was quite a bit because obviously the rubber duck so. driving around was was um, was very helpful. And uh, Greg brought wetsuits to that and extra kites and so yeah. And all his uh, um, wealth of knowledge really helped as well. So and he brought a lot of publicity as well. So it was wonderful having him um, with us going forward. And yeah, for the rest of the stages he joined me. So yeah, the other the next trip I suppose, which was very memorable, was. Um, <laughs> we are. F- oh, oh, Becky, go for it. Oh, you want to ask a
0: question? No, 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 no. I, but go on. Uh, to tell me why it was memorable. Because uh, I can read Afrikaans because I'm from the, the from the Netherlands. So I read the media reports. So I think it was also memorable in other But please tell us about the trip. okay.
1: That one. Okay. Yeah. So what happened is when we wanted to cross, you know, get around Cape Point, we started at the very same place that I started my first attempt on my twin tip at Hunklip. And we went across False Bay. Was really great conditions. It was steady southeaster, um, and uh, but that brings the wind chop. So that's when when we rounded Cape Point, we were, I, if I recall, it was probably you know in excess of thirty knots and three metre swells. It was really huge, a lot of white caps all over the show. Um, and a beautiful run in, um, we carried on going and we wanted to finish at Komeki as, but as we came into Komeki again, the, um, wind shadow was, was too much. So we veered off back out to sea again and we ended up in Hart Bay. So that was. You know, also one of the better experiences because it was solid wind all the all the way, and it was it was fast, and um, I was very nervous because it was quite big sea. I didn't actually on that on the whole false bay. I didn't swap my feet at all. I just had left foot forward and my my right. Off, was cramping and uh, Greg was obviously more proficient at me, at, uh, at me than kiting and he he could do toeside and play around and take. I wasn't even prepared at that stage to take my back foot out of the strap <laughs> you know and, uh, uh, but but now you know I've, 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 I suppose my kiting has improved a little bit. As I said I was a little bit green and a little bit naive taking this all on in the early days because I only had two years of kiting experience True sure you know?
0: determination
1: That's so, <laughs> exactly it So what happened is we all landed back and um, the next uh, day we got contacted um, because what had happened um, as we rounded Cape Point the nature reserve guards looked down from the top uh, of the cliffs and they saw these kites and they were totally amazed that somebody was prepared to kite around there in the first place that they just assumed we were in trouble. And then they radioed the National Sea Rescue Institute um, to come and rescue us. And we weren't aware of this was happening. And what had happened is they they launched from three um, stations. They launched from Simonstown, Heart Bay, Audience Bay and a helicopter.
0: They wanted to do triangulation.
1: Oh <laughs> my goodness! And uh, and so when it all you know turned out that we we had to apologise. Um. And thank goodness they didn't charge us for for you know false uh, call out. But we, we didn't do the call out. Um. It was a big lesson learned. You know. And from that point onwards, we'd we'd always phone the NSRI beforehand, tell them exactly what our itinerary, you know, how, our distance, what we're going to be doing, and so that they're aware of it. Um. Which I think was wise and and i agree with that and it was something that we should have done in the first place so
0: the scary thing is that you say they send out all these helicopters and these boats and uh, three boats probably to do triangulation and find you but they didn't find you actually i mean that's a little bit the scary thing i, I get from this story
1: yes they, they we we're obviously going at at a quick pace so they they Go to the place where we were sighted, which is Cape Point, and then start searching from there. But uh, um, yeah, so that whole episode ended up in the newspaper, <laughs> and that's the article you read. Yes. But uh, yeah, it was it as I said, it was a good lesson learned, and. Um, I've subs- become a, a, a sponsorship to the NSRI for <laughs> b- paying back my deeds. <laughs> but uh, yeah, all, all, all good, all good in the end. A
0: lifelong membership you have to pay <laughs> yeah, up for. Them. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, they were
0: cool. Sorry, but that was actually stage number three, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, no, know. We, we, we did jump, jump around a little bit. Um, so another one was... Uh, you know, it's interesting as I went along, um, Greg and, us, Greg and I were the two guys that were mainly doing the distance. Different people joined us, you know, just on one-off stages, which was fun. Um, so the next stage was to try and join the dots from the bus and, uh, to finish off the, the Cape Point section. And so that we had to do in a northerly, as I mentioned earlier. So the first northerly wind that, picked up. Uh, we set off and um, I was joined there uh, from uh, Henny Breedenkamp. He's he's also a well-known kiter from Langebon area. His daughter, by the way, is Shoki Breedenkamp. She she, she was the South African champion at one stage. Um, I don't know if that name rings a bell anyway. The speedy champion, yeah, she's um, quite a well-known kite at the time. But anyway, he joined us uh, and it was very, very iffy conditions to start off. I mean, it was like barely 10 knots, and but we, we knew it was going to pick up to 25, 30 knots. So we just wanted to get going to get the distance going. So as soon as we possibly could get up and riding, you know, we, we we took the opportunity because so we we started. It was difficult getting out because it was a huge sea. Um, so to just get over, if you haven't got enough power to jump the waves, um, it 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 was tricky. A couple of guys' kites went down. Just getting through the surf on the you know the surf line, just starting. But anyway, we managed to get going, and um, we kind of zigzagged our way down. It was too light even to run direct, straight downwind on the northerly. And, but it gently, gradually picked up. But at one stage, it was so touch and go. Brad Symington was with us. He dropped his kite and he couldn't recover, so he couldn't launch it again. So he was picked up by the rubber duck, and just um Henny and myself continued going. Uh, and then the wind freshened, and uh, just in time. This happened more than once. We think, wow, well, wow, well, we. Can can we make it be working the kite? We working the kite, and it just suddenly the little gusts come through and strengthens, and then goes to 20 knots. So again, you know, the, um, I think it's the lesson here is you've got to have sea support if you're going to be doing this. Especially maybe in other you know other places, Brazil, it'll be more friendly. I don't know, but here I wouldn't attempt this with, again without uh, sea support
0: because the wind is not always completely side on, and on top of that, the coastline in Brazil is. Com- completely... completely different it's beaches 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 and that's not the coastline in south africa i mean especially if you talk about this trip the shoreline is if something happens there there are a lot of yeah. rocks and it's not very it's not very forgiven um in comparison to the coast of brazil or the north coast of brazil better to be said if something happens the wind is side on okay you're on the yes. beach but you're on a sand beach and, no, not, no, and exactly. not on a rock so without boat support i think this whole adventure is uh, at least there in cape town is a non-starter isn't it
1: absolutely i couldn't agree with you well said then you know, that's that's exactly correct so you you're right so um we came around and a orderly and the swell started picking up here i think it was probably some of the biggest swell we had um, because the swell generally is big swell is generated with a northerly wind here Um, it's not just the south wind chop this is a big swell that comes from the ocean from the south atlantic ocean and um, it's just started gaining throughout the day and the wind you know it was just also picking up all the time and it started getting to my limit i think i had 11 square meter kite on at the time but if you, um, it's amazing how wind is affected by uh, the topography of of the mountain and um, and sometimes it will it will actually come over the mountain and funnel down and pick up speed, and um, hit the water, and you'll have these water spouts, like turrets of of mini little tornadoes, if you want to call it, just spurting 20 meters up into the air, which is absolutely unbelievable um and uh and and pretty dangerous and that's what happened to me as as we were coming around um i don't know if you're familiar with the area there that's a place called dungeons and um, where they have a big surf competitions. a huge waves and massive blowbacks off the top i mean it was so spectacular and i hit one of these little turrets where the wind was channeled down ch- and funneling down the mountain came underneath my kite and literally i, I wasn't Didn't jump or anything. I was kiting along normally. It just picked me up. I was kiting along, but it took me, picked me right out of the water without me adjusting anything. It was like the scariest moment. I didn't know where this was going to take me, and it just lifted me up. I Thought okay, I'm gonna kick off my board, so I kicked off my board and I just me and the kite controlled it. And I actually, because I had my GPS reading, you know, I was going everywhere with the GPS and I plotted it, it dropped me down 70 meters further. <laughs> so, you know, it was a hell of a scary moment because you're totally out of control, you can fly the kite the way you want, it, just taking you and plonking you down there. So, um, we we um, we called it a day, we were all were on the radio, and I said, No, this if it's like this, yeah, it's going to even even worse around Cape Point, and um, that's when we came. Into came um, into, what's it, uh, Nurtic Beach there, that huge, beautiful beach around Chapman. Street. It's truly spectacular um, uh, scenery. But yeah, we just, we, we dropped in straight there. Um, and then the land support, also part of the whole logistics, um, you know, came to collect us. And the rubber duck went through to Heart Bay to um, launch uh, Slipway. I must say, Bjorn, that's one of the things that, that um, actually, the reason why I never completed the whole distance, and we only ended up doing... Uh, what is it, 700, 670 Ks or something was the logistics. It was. It became so difficult. You know, we we obviously went for low uh, hanging fruit first. We went all the easier areas that we thought we could do from without of Cape Town. And the whole team that you need. You know, the car, the land support, the rubber duck. We were all kind of professional working people, and so became weekend warriors. And so we would. The distances that we could do was out of Cape Town on the weekend. Was that was kind of the limit. And then more than that, we actually had to take off a day from work. And, and then you know to try and look at the wind and um and hopefully it'll all work out and so on more than one occasion we we, it, we look at wind guru and wind guru is a fantastic 20 knots southwest um perfect we pack all up everything up drive up there fuel up the rubber duck and we get there there's either fog or no wind and uh, that really uh, you know sort of hampered the whole expedition And 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 that combination of you know work requirements and all of that and demands, family demands and everything, um, brought an end to the to the mission. So we we never finished the, the thousand k. So it's still sitting there. The the fire is still burning in me to to complete it. I, I I'm not too sure when I will you know, continue it because this has been, you know, this finished in my last one that was abandoned was in January. I'm just, look, just looking at the website now. January, 2011, that was the last trip. I think we traveled, I don't know how many hundreds of hundreds of kilometers. And um, we only kited, you know, next in the previous time we, we traveled all the way to the orange river and, we only managed to count 60 Ks. Uh, it's, and then we tried again and, it, and then again was abandoned due to lack of wind. So it, it, um. It does take a lot of perseverance to continue this.
0: Yeah, and that, if I'm if I understand you correctly, that I'm, it really becomes a, a professional endeavor more than how you did it on a shoestring budget. If you really want to complete this trip, it's going to cost a lot of money. Uh, I think
1: you're right, Dave. It's going to cost more money and um, definitely more time. Um, for for example, um, I would almost consider that um again if you look at brazil it's different to south africa because the the, one of the problems that we had especially if you go north of um north of uh, lambert's bay there it is extremely remote there's absolutely nothing there there's cliffs and just to get the rubber duck in the water is is there's a yeah, one or two um, launch sites um, you, you know over hundreds of kilometers. So so it's, it's I think the way to do it is possibly with a jet ski rather than a rubber duck, so that you can just come onto the beach and, and easier launch. It um, that might be an, a better uh, an option as opposed to the rubber duck that we had because we had fixed props which was a, a problem as a, as I say coming into the beach we couldn't uh, bring that that rubber duck onto the beach it had to be on a slipway.
0: The stage number 4 was also a very interesting um yes. one where you actually made it to the southernmost point of the trip to Cape Agulas. Can you uh, can you describe that one a little bit? The,
1: yes, that one was um that was our attempt to get to um, Cape Agulas. We didn't actually make oh, right, it on, on that particular one but that was in a northerly wind and um Again, as I said, the northerly brings the big swell. Uh, and as we came to this place, uh called Danger Point. It was huge um, washback, I don't know if that's the correct word, from the swell. So it's extremely choppy. That's also at the big bay, is called Walker Bay, where all the southern right whales are. Um, and the rubber duck actually was then the first time was calling us on the radio saying, slow down, slow down, we, we, we're going too fast, because the chop was too big for mm-hmm. them to, um, to to keep up with us. So that's, we actually had to throttle back a little bit, depower it, and um, and, and so they can stick with us It was a huge swell there And at one particular stage The rubber duck came down Cresting over the wave, was airborne Came down into the trough Right next to a whale So the point is I mean it could have landed on the whale uh, the, the point here is that um, It shows you how quickly Something could, you know, can go wrong in these situations it did remind me of one other particular uh, incident which was a quite a close call which was when um on the, at here when we were kiting past a um a seal colony and the seals was we could see um you know Greg was in front he was leading the the pace and I was say uh, 20 meters behind him the same angle and the rubber duck was not far off us and in front of Greg we're going 15 knots at the time I think it was um there was a, a pod. I don't know if that's the correct word, for um, steels or school of them or whatever. They were they were rhythmically um, coming towards us. They hadn't noticed us yet, but you could judge from their rhythm that they would um, pop out pretty much where Greg, you know, they would hit each other at the same time. I could see it from, because I was behind him. And that's pretty much what happened. As they all started coming out, you know, it, it looked like somebody threw a hand grenade amongst them. They just spat it in every single direction. And this huge seal just brushed past Greg's um, face. uh, in, In they were going the opposite direction because that, if he connected with Greg. It would have been the end of the trip right there i mean i don't know what these seals weigh but i mean they are enormous, enormous. and it actually brushed it brushed his ears so that was a really close call so these things you just can't predict that's going to happen you know um another one was i nearly i mean i i had a floating um debris off um off Ace of Fontaine. it was like a steel door not a, a wooden door with like this steel frame on it just floating now, if you come at full pace and you hit one of those things, um, you know, at sea, you're not expecting that. Um, it, you, you know, it, uh, that's when you need the support. So, yeah. <laughs> But anyway, so we, we came back, I digress. Uh, um, as we go around, um, we went around Danger Point there. Straight away, it was suddenly protected because, um, you know, the, from the, the northwest uh, swells were protected from this point that juts. Many kilometers out into the sea. So then it was nice and smooth after that. And we were, Greg was pushing hard to try and make it before sunset to um, Cape Agalis. But um, in order to do that, we had to go past Dire Island and. The direct line from where we were was pretty much straight past Dyer Island. And obviously I was nervous as all hell because that is where those famous um jumping sharks are. Um that's you know one of the spots in the world where the greatest concentration of great whites are. So I, I was I was pretty nervous uh, and I wanted to rather give it a wide berth as possible. Greg was encouraging just to, you know, cut it and go at full pace. So we had to, because it was dead down when we had to do a couple of jives. And the sea was also then quite a little bit choppy. So, I, again, you know, just the extra nerves um, for me. Don't fall, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. fall. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. It's exactly what it was. Like. And the guy who lured to the rubber duck was just saying to that the guy who was um, his boatman who was supporting him was saying, because he also needed a navigator, because uh, you need two people on the rubber duck, you know, holding it in the big chop. other guy doing the navigating and talking on the radio back to us and so on. So he, he was Saying to his mate, he said to him, just watch Doug now, watch Doug on this job, he's going to wipe out. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. I wiped out in the worst possible space. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I tell you, I've never tried to get started again as quick as that in my life. <laughs> but but anyway, um, we went and just the sun went down and at the same time, the wind just disappeared. And in fact, uh, we had to drop our kites there. And that's when greg also had his opportunity of panicking because he was a good five hundred to a kilometre away from us, and then, as I dropped my car I got the one line got stuck in the prop and we it, we were delayed for a few minutes and now he's just bobbing around in this water at sunset, uh, which was not a nice position to be in so anyway, so we we picked him up and then we had to do the last thirty ks um at night on the rubber dike before we could. Get the slipway at Cape Agulhas. So then, the last, obviously, to join the dots there, we still had to come from the other end, and and to just do thirty k's was so short. So we thought we'd we'd make a meal out of it, and we'd start further back. And so we started at Arniston, just stunning fishing village on the you know the eastern the eastern shore of the southern tip of Africa. From there, um, we made our way. We had to beat for three kilometers straight up um, to before we could, you know, turn to a broad reach. We like skipped over a little reef, um, which was quite exciting. duck had to go around it and then um and then we made our way to um to Cape Point but by this stage you know we really we were much more organized we were very slick we came became more professional with every with every stage that we did we notified the NSRI and they were very aware of us because they could listen to us on the radio and they actually just sent out a, a one of those pencil ducks um to meet us off Cape Point which was wonderful and Cool. Yeah, you know, they, could, they could see, you know, they came right next to us and, you know, we had a chat to them, but they were they were pretty much also going full tilt on the pencil duck just to keep up with us because we had, you know, our oh, rubber duck had a nice big V formation that could cut through the waves quite nicely. Um, but as I said, as say used to say, um, when most people were coming back into the slipway, the fishermen and so on, because the wind's going up 30, 40 knots, that's when we were launching. <laughs> so... <laughs> so yeah you know you you want to go with the strongest almost the strongest possible win the better you know because you can get some good distance so it was just such a memorable thing and um um, i just want to say Bjorn, thanks for phoning me and and having this chat because it's brought back such wonderful memories for me you know um it's really, I think, ignited the the flame in me that I want to finish this off and, and just see how far one can take this adventure. But yes, oh, so thanks for that.
0: Maybe next time, I'm uh, next time I'm in Cape Town, we can do a we can do a longer downwinder.
1: That will be great.
0: <laughs> and I have to say kudos uh, because you say we're going out with 40 nicks. Kudos to the captain, yeah, of the of the rubber duck.
1: Exactly, exactly. I, I remember that that one particular trip. Um, when, we, when I came around Heart Bay and we were just launched, we just went straight into the surf, onto Newark beach. He had to turn and go back into the waves and back into the wind. and. You, you can only go to a certain pace because as you crest the wave the wind could flip it over backwards so so you know you it, it's it's you got to have decent seamanship um to you know to to know what you're doing otherwise you would have flipped the duck in those sea the sea was huge i mean so you know you really got to do that um, the deckhand on navigation you know calling the waypoints um, is, is also important at Clancy we had a lot of fog so we had to have this like emergency plan as well what would happen if we have this type of fog We can't see it, and we have to bail. How the kites? How are we going to do it? Who's going to get onto the duck first? How are we going to drop the kites? So yeah, it's 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 um. You've got to have decent seamanship, you know, a good team to to do something like this again. I mean, a, a lot of lessons were learned. It's a lot of fun. Oh,
0: no, it's also an, it's not only a physical endeavor; it's also an intellectual endeavor, actually, to plan these things out and with all the logistics and the route planning, uh, the mm-hmm. course you have to set. I think it, that's also what makes it so interesting. It's also a little bit of an intellectual challenge, yeah. actually, to plan all these out.
1: Yeah. No thanks for, for mentioning that. I actually think for me, it was the kiting really was the the fun and the doable part to do it. The thing that that actually hampered it at the end of the day was the logistics. It is just, it is unbelievably an amount of organization to put it off and get the team together and that they can all do it at that specific time. So as you were saying, if you really want to do it, you've got to take two weeks off. Uh, You've got to have everything lined up. You've got to wait for the wind, do the wind, go as far and as far as you possibly can, stop on the beach, wait there for the next conditions and continue straight from that point further. And, and that's, I think, how you'll do the remainder of the West Coast, which is totally isolated and rugged and dangerous. So, yeah, I think that will be the hardest part of the South African coast is the northern section of the West Coast.
0: And that's where you also then, that's uh, the last stage where you actually uh, had a go at it. And that's where you really start running into the logistical problems, isn't it?
1: Exactly. I mean, we, we just, even at one stage, we had to help, you know, all the little road to get the rubber duck launched, so that, uh, you know, and then with the one place that he could launch, we couldn't launch. our cards. So we had to drive to another beach. Uh, so yeah, it, 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 it does take a lot of planning.
0: I want to be mindful of your time. Before we end the show I really would like to thank you for taking the time I I'm fascinating I I told you I know this coastline uh, yes. pretty pretty well but just from doing small downwinders like sunset to uh, to Big Bay and doing that five times a, a day I but I know how rough the seas can be I know there's a lot of things lurking below the waterline I know yes. how tricky the wind can be because it's not a wind which is blowing seven times twenty-four at twenty knots. It is starts yes. at ten knots and suddenly it's forty. Um, yes. It can be a crazy ghost line. I have to congratulate you on this endeavor uh, you took, <laughs> and, and I would say a lot of in the Spanish, big cojones, big balls. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I did an interview with with a guy from Durban. I also saw a video from guys doing a downwinder from the border of Mozambique all the way down to Durban. And oh, I think that, that coastline is actually a lot easier to do
1: it is a lot easier the water first of all is much warmer I mean it's much warmer and a lot more beach. so it's it's much more forgiving um, yes. you know if there's something wrong you just pull into the beach like you said like in Brazil yes it's not cliffs, rocks uh, reefs um huge waves uh, you know and and as you mentioned so correctly I mean the wind can fluctuate from 10 knots to fourteen knots in a matter of half an hour so.
0: Is there anything you want to mention that I forgot to ask? Anything? I will provide uh, the links, uh, the, the link to the website. People can read up on the details. You made a, a very detailed report about every stage. Is there anything I forgot to ask you?
1: no no it's just it was just i really appreciate it and it was lovely chatting to you out of the blue and bringing all these good memories back man thanks a lot for that great
0: great great all right douglas then uh with that said i want to thank you again and uh, hope to talk to you soon
1: good thanks again man. so long
0: i hope you enjoyed that interview and uh, if you find a minute of time i would much appreciate it if you write me a short review on itunes okay with that said take care
1: Dick,
0: <laughs> <laughs>